0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ask Key Anything, presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Ángel León, Mosher's HR advisor. In this week's episode, we're sitting in on a live Red Hat Ansible panel that features two of Mosher's experts and our Red Hat partner, answering the most common or most difficult Ansible automation platform questions. Want to know more about setting up Ansible? What are the most common mistakes and pitfalls? How do you optimize? This week's episode will cover those topics along with others. Our panel of experts includes Jim Garrett, Louis Garner, and Estelle Liesek. Jim is a chief architect at Red Hat, the world's leading provider of open source software solutions. He is part of the North American Channel Solutions Architecture Group, responsible for helping customers solve the most difficult and challenging problems they face. Louis Garner is a principal consultant and technology lead for Unix and Linux systems at Moshe Consulting. He has 17 years of experience as a solutions architect for open systems, focusing on system infrastructure, cloud architecture, server automation, and software deployment and administration, both operationally and DevOps. He is a Red Hat certified engineer and an AWS certified solutions architect. Luis is also a certified specialist in Ansible Automation. Estelle Lisuk is a senior consultant and Linux system engineer at Motion Consulting, focusing on the Red Hat Ansible automation platform and is a Linux systems engineer, having expertise in Red Hat, CentOS, and Solaris. She has been working as an IT professional for over nine years, and she enjoys using her skills to contribute to the exciting technological advances in her community. Estelle also has expertise in virtualization techniques using AWS, VMware, and Red Hat tools. Without further ado, here is the live Red Hat Ansible panel.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this webinar from Mosher Consulting and Red Hat. Um, We're going to talk today with our Ansible experts. We've asked um, ahead of time for uh, questions to be submitted, and we got several questions. So we're going to be going over those. Um, If you want to ask a specific question or something that comes up, have a need for further information, Uh, type that into the chat box um, and we will definitely get that going. I'm going to throw up a poll um, that you can participate in if you want. There's a couple questions on there about IT automation uh, and where you're at in that journey um, because IT automation is a journey. It's something that um, it's best to plan and, and make a plan for long term. Um, with that, I'm going to um, turn it over for a moment to Matt Wren. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about uh, what we do and introduce our panelists. So, Matt.
2: Thanks, Melinda. And uh, thanks for everybody for joining today. So, as Melinda said, my name is Matt Wren. I am responsible for leading our sales charge here at Mosier. I've been with Mosier for six and a half years. And I'm very lucky to be able to introduce our panelists today. Uh, we'll start with Estelle. Estelle is a, a senior consultant here at Mosier, focusing on a Red Hat automation platform and is a Linux systems engineer as well, having expertise in Red Hat, CinOS, and Solaris. She enjoys using her skills to contribute to the exciting um, technological advances in her community. Next is Lewis. Lewis is our uh, tech lead or, uh, for our open systems infrastructure and automation, as well as an Ansible architect for us. He's been with Mosher for a little over seven years and uh, if we ever get back to traveling and conference life he enjoys a good bourbon so if you see him uh, make sure you get him one and then finally uh introduce Jim Garrett um Jim is a chief architect for Red Hat he's uh been there for almost five years Uh, I'm very lucky to call him a personal friend of mine and uh Jim also does enjoy good bourbon when he travels too Uh, Mosher we have uh, been in business for 25 years we work in the federal state and local and commercial markets we have seven different practices here at Mosure. You can check those out at mosureit.com if you want more information on that. Um, within our Red Hat partnership, we were fortunately enough named the SI Partner of the Year for small, medium-sized organization, as well as an Apex Partner, which means we're able to do subscriptions, sell you subscriptions, as well as perform architecture implementations and support of Red Hat products. A friendly reminder to everybody that Red Hat Summit was the last two days, so please go back and check out any of the sessions, they all are on demand, and I will hand it back over to Melinda to be able to ask the experts and go from there, so thanks everybody.
1: Okay, so we're going to start with a few of our questions uh, that we got online. Um, I'm going to hope this panel advances. I did click on it, so I'm going to give it a second. There we go. Thank you, Lewis. I saw it. I heard you do that. So um, one of the questions that we got, uh, I would like to learn more about Ansible automation benefits. I would like to say we do have a podcast episode that talks about all of the benefits of IT automation. So if you go to our podcast, ASCII anything at listen.motorit.com, we go into very much more in depth on that. But to start off, I wanted to ask Estelle to just talk a little bit about this.
3: Yes, thank you, Melinda. And hi, everyone. So IT automation implies making a routine task automatically repeatable. And the importance of automation is clear and It's very clear, and in the past, this was um, very less a concern because the pace of IT itself was slower and IT is expected now to respond instantly to business needs. That's why they're moving towards IT automation. And now they can no longer afford to take three weeks to fire up a VM, for example, in a private cloud. So these types of delays are just not acceptable. They act as a break on the business itself. So, um, some of the importance or benefits of automation is greater speed and efficiency in your infrastructure. So, developers or development gets faster when um, time-consuming tasks like configuration are taken away from developers and implemented automatically. So. This also results in consistent environments and more um, redefined uh, configuration. So IT personnel are now happy because they are removed from the manual task and now free to focus on more important and higher value work, which will lead to higher level of productivity. IT automation will also save you money and resources. Um, in the sense that it eliminates the needs of large teams. It performs a lot of uh, manual steps, a large team to perform a lot of um, manual steps to get started with production development. So it can help save on staffing costs. So labor spending is also reduced and workers spending time and resources working or more important uh, value added tax. So the results can be significant cost saving. Uh, one more thing is about enhanced security. Automation, automation will help your business enhance their security. And so by removing time-consuming and effort-filled tasks like um, monitoring from the developer's responsibilities and now through automation, Developers and even cybersecurity professionals can focus proactively on preventing vulnerabilities and even troubleshooting issues. You know, without automation, security uh, teams have to deal with an increased number of security alerts and potential incidents, which could require even many hours of that valuable time to resolve issues. And, you know, because there are so many false positives, like mis- mislevel alerts that come in, that time ends up being spent in vain. But with security automation, these repetitive uh, processes don't require human intervention. So it can free up a lot of time to deal with real cybersecurity threats. In other words, uh, automation allows security teams to deal with. Potential alert in a faster and more um, a more effective manner. And when you automate your IT processes, you also reduce the chances of human error. You can take steps to reduce um, human error and ensure a more accurate information as well as smoothly completed tasks and processes. And an error-free business is very more efficient and better at serving the customers. So. With less chances of human error, a business can focus more on what they do best and not on um, resolving issues that need uh, fixing. So using automation, it's, it's very important and, and it's um, good for the company. Thank you. All right,
1: thank you. Um, I'm gonna try to switch to the next one. Ah, there we go. Uh, question two that was submitted. Um, I'm new to system administration, curious about Ansible. Was wondering if anyone has any experience using Ansible to assist in administering a Horizon desktop environment, and if so, how does it help with automating the Horizon environment?
4: So uh, for those who aren't familiar, Horizon desktop environment is a VMware product. Uh, It's part of the normal VM stack, but it provides a VDI-based environment. Uh, We're actually using that at our current client and at the end of the day, the management on that is not too different than the management of most either Windows instances or VMware instances, depending on the layer of the stack you're dealing with, from provisioning all the way through customization, GPO, domain membership, you know, all the parts and pieces, uh, software install, all the parts and pieces that you normally deal with with the desktop and or with a Windows system and or with a VMware environment. Um, Ansible handles those all pretty easily and out of the box. Uh, we've got modules for all of the above. So, and it, because PowerShell is a first-class citizen, it makes taking anything you've already got written in PowerShell and migrating it into Ansible amazingly simple. If if me as a infrastructure guy from start to finish, whose last programming was C++ can do it, then it's doable. Uh, so I think that answered the question, Linda.
1: Uh, Jim, did you have anything to throw in there? Want uh,
5: to pick you know, on you? I, I think Lewis did a great job of answering, uh, you know, directly as far as what Ansible can do with the Horizon environment. Um, one thing I'd like to add too is, with VMware, we have probably I think sixty or seventy different modules inside of Ansible that provide ways to automate the VMware um, tasks that people do every day. So. That's really the only thing to add.
1: Okay, awesome. Um, trying to, there we go. Uh, how do you upgrade Ansible from previous versions?
4: So there are really three aspects to this. One, are you doing just Ansible core? Two, are you doing uh, Ansible tower as well as Ansible core? And three, where's your code at? So, The the tower slash Ansible core stuff is actually pretty easy. Um, It's all done via RPM package management or the tower installer, which comes either standalone or bundled with all the pieces you need. Um, So for your DoD like or uh, disconnected environments or anything that's sitting in in a DMZ or something, you can use the bundled installer. Um, But all of that is it's maybe 20 minutes of watching an Ansible playbook run. Uh, It's just staggeringly simple. Really the bigger kicker is that Ansible versions are supported for 18 months um, and then code gets deprecated out. So when you're writing your code, you always, and running your code, you always got to look for those purple deprecation warnings um, because they will be changing things out from underneath you as it were, but they give you 18 months of warning. So as long as you're paying attention to your code as it's being executed, it's not that hard to stay current. Um, but if you don't stay current on your code, then you can, get yourself bit a little bit. Um, The other thing that Tower does, is it provides virtual environments. So you can create a virtual environment with the not yet released or the preview version of Ansible Tower, or excuse me, not Ansible Tower, Ansible Core. And then you can run against that and see how your code does before you ever go for your upgrade. Um, So it gives you a a test ground uh, for you to work with on your code. But the biggest thing is to watch your code and watch your deprecation warnings. Jim, do you have anything further?
5: No, Lewis, you answered it perfectly. Good job. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Thank you, Jim.
1: Okay. Um, Again, trying to get this to advance. Okay. Is Red Hat a good technology for engineering students uh, to consider? And um, I was going to tap uh, Estelle for this. I know Estelle has a lot of experience uh, teaching and uh, helping students. So
3: there you go. Yes. Um, The short answer for this question is yes. Red Hat is suitable for engineering students. So being an engineering student or having that background sets you as an advantage because you already have that analytical critical thinking and even problem solving skills so it really sets you at that advantage for um red hat technology so um and i'll say red hat has an array of certification oriented towards job roles from system administration to system engineering and architecture to development and even application administrations, and also to cloud and virtualization administration. So it depends on what your goals and visions are. The Red Hat certified system administrator, for example, is a Red Hat basic certification, which guarantees that an administrator knows how to configure logical storage, work with the system security control, social security enhanced Linux, Firewalls and access controls and manage its file system and user base. Um, and then, further, we have the Red Hertz certified system engineer that adds to these with skills in web server administration, remote storage, a connection, config- configuring DNS server, NFS server, FTP, and SMTP services, and many others. Further, you can also go to be an expertise dealing with directory service, virtualization, clustering, and remote storage, giving um, security and handling and other advanced technology. So of course, having that engineering background will really set you at an advantage. And I would say, if you think you wanna go in for any Red Hat course, what I'll tell you is that you can do more than what you think you can do. Just put your, your mind to it. It's, it's nothing too so complicated as an engineering student or with that engineering background. I strongly believe you will succeed in and do good.
4: I wanted to append to that also. The, the, the one skill I look for the most when I'm interviewing a potential engineers of any stripe um, is the ability to troubleshoot or problem solve. Right. Uh The ability to think logically through a problem. And so engineering typically lends itself to that quite well. Um, And Ansible is the same way. It's the ability to troubleshoot because you you never get it right out of the box. Right. You have to iterate. And so the ability to troubleshoot is the thing that I I find the hardest to teach and the most important in people I'm looking to hire.
5: Yeah, I'd like I'd like to add a a slightly different slant to what uh, what both Lewis and Estelle had to say. Um, So Knowing that Red Hat is an open source company, what that implies is that individuals from outside of Red Hat have the ability to download the source code, make changes to it, and possibly upload it back into our upstream source code tree. As an engineering student, what better opportunity to get involved with the community that is making an impact out in our ecosystem uh, I have a son, he's, he's 22 years old. He's a computer science major um, at a university here in Cincinnati, otherwise known as University of Cincinnati. <laughs> and um, he actually got involved with, uh, with an, an OpenShift operator project last summer. Um, and, and and it was really educational for him. So So Red Hat has not only great products that engineering students can leverage, products like Ansible, um, where they can learn how to, you know, how to automate all of the different mundane tasks that they do all the time. But we also offer opportunities to contribute and and to do things back upstream to help define what, you know, not only future engineering students are gonna are gonna leverage, but other people out in the ecosystem. So, great opportunity to learn and a great opportunity to to contribute back into the world.
4: And a heck of a resume builder.
5: Heck of a resume builder. That's right. If, if if you want to impress somebody, show them that you have, you've volunteered, you've contributed your time to uh, to upstream projects that that are making a difference. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to iterate to what Lois said about problem solvers. That's what we look for at Mosher. Everyone we hire, we want them to be problem solvers, be able to take something and pick it apart. So. All right, I'm trying to move forward here. Um, So this is one of the more common questions uh, that we get about Ansible, about IT automation. What are the biggest roadblocks to automation that we see at clients?
4: So I'm now into my fourth, fifth year, excuse me, of doing Ansible at clients. Um, For those of you who aren't aware of how a lot of these contracts work, I spend between five and 15 to 20 weeks at a client generally and then move on. So I've seen quite a few clients in this, you know, four and a half, five years. Um the the two, the two biggest things that I see are one, it's cultural, and, and there's no better way to say it, is that if you have the mentality of everything's a special snowflake, then you fight to not automate. But as we know, that's that's a negative to progress, right? It doesn't help us with consistency, it doesn't help us with compliance, It doesn't help us with any of the things that our normal goals in IT would be, right? Um, the other part is you try to take the the whole mountain at a one, one step, right? You got to start and just keep building. So the biggest thing is to start getting quick wins on your automation, right? You, you figure out a straightforward process that you do a ton and that you realize it saves you five minutes a week, but if it saves you five minutes a week and it takes you 20 minutes to automate, now you've saved yourself five minutes a week every week and it only took you 20 minutes. You start with smaller bites and it works pretty darn well. Uh, Jim, Estelle?
5: Yeah, I think um, I think one of the biggest roadblocks that we have is that people are busy. They, they, they don't feel like they can slow down enough to actually pick up a new technology and run with it. Uh, however that also becomes one of the biggest reasons to adopt an automation technology. Uh, One one of my colleagues at Red Hat actually made a comment to me one time, and this guy, he was super educated. He's got, I think, five different certifications at Red Hat from certified system administrator, certified engineer, certified security. I mean, this guy has it all. And, um, And once he started using Ansible, he started automating all of those tasks that he did just routinely or mundanely every day. And ironically, before he knew it, he started to forget some of the command line commands that he used to use simply because he was running automated scripts to do everything for him. Um, So these automated scripts definitely help, but you have to sometimes slow down a little bit in order so that you can speed up at a later point.
3: So one thing I, I can add is, um, is is change. A lot of people are just not accustomed to change and sometimes bringing automation to an infrastructure means bringing change and people are not just always open to change because it will require you moving from what you're used to doing manually, having to do it with automation, even though it's easier, just a button and whatever you're doing is done. Some people are just very stereotype and they don't want to embrace change. So change, the ability to embrace change can be uh, one word block also.
1: So do you guys see like, do you feel like top down helps the implementation of automation or is it more bottom up? Is it the tech people who say we we need to automate this and then it goes up through management? Like, has have you seen it work both ways? So.
4: It it actually needs to work both ways. Uh, The running joke I've always heard in IT is that the higher up the food chain, you have to sell a product, the worse it is. So if you get the CTO happy about the product and the tech guys don't like it, probably not a great product. Um, That said, you have to sell it at that level, right? You can't can't convince the higher ups that it's good by saying, I really like it, it's cool. Look at this happy bell, right? You gotta go, hey, there's a 400% ROI over nine months. We're gonna, we're gonna reduce our costs and we're gonna increase our compliance, we're gonna reduce our risks um, and, and start talking that speak that makes it sense. And so I find it better to come from both angles, right? It's really easy for adoption, the tech people like it and it, does, it has a really quick return on investment for what is a comparatively low initial outlay. So yeah, you gotta come at it from both angles.
5: Yeah, I couldn't agree with Lewis more. I mean, it, it really is. It it goes both ways. Um, management needs to see how much they can save, how much return on their investment they can save, but, but technical people need to push it from the bottom to say to them, uh, you know, we believe if we do this, we're actually going to be able to do more with our time, uh, with fewer tools with fewer, with fewer, um, minutes in the day. And, um, that's a huge selling point. And, and, and people, you know, one of the questions we often get asked is Will this hurt my job? Will it um, uh, ob, you know, make me obsolete? And the response to that is heck no. Uh, the more you become able to automate the different things that you do on a daily basis, which means you can do more during that time span, the more valuable you become. And that, that's, you know, that's it's one of the messages to carry home is, is that value uh, comes in being able to do more. And you know, that helps when a company either upsizes or downsizes. If, if they increase in size, again, you're able to do more. If they, if they decrease in size, the person they're going to want to keep is the person that's doing more. So it's, it's, it's a very important aspect to understand.
1: All right, I'm trying to there we go, six. So what are next steps once you start with Ansible? So let's say you have Ansible up and running and I've made a couple of playbooks. What now?
4: So, so I think Oh go ahead, Jim.
5: I think the next step, and, and Lewis, you you're you're probably going probably gonna say the exact same thing, but once you start to automate you're gonna see that you have not just one or two playbooks, but you're gonna have 10, 20, 30, maybe hundreds of playbooks that do all of the various mundane tasks that you do manually now. The the next thing you have to worry about is how do you make those playbooks available to the global audience? In other words, rather than just running a, a playbook via the command line, uh, how do you take that playbook and make it so that anybody can run it? And of course, that's, that's done through using what we call Ansible Tower. But then even beyond that is you, you need to think about where are you going to store these playbooks and then how are you going to make them available to Ansible Tower? How are you going to version control them? Um, you know, allow people to modify them and, and, and track those changes. Um, again, those are all things that come into play once you once you start expanding this footprint and using Ansible to do so many more things. Um, and, and that's really what the Ansible automation platform as a whole is all about. So the platform has enterprise, I'm sorry, has Ansible Tower and it also has the Ansible engine built into it. And um, that's that's where the real power comes into play is being able to expand version control, uh, allow other people to run those scripts without having to necessarily give them administrative access or root access to a system, all that you can do with Ansible Tower.
4: Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Tower does provide that uh, a nice RP- or API interface for user self-service, whether you're using ServiceNow or JIRA or a PHP website or .NET or you know, insert your user self-service tool here, and because it's a RESTful API, the integration points are pretty easy. Um, additionally, as Jim was talking about, Ansible handles RBAC, or role-based access control, so that you can get real granular with what you allow people to do and don't do, um, and what part of the inventory they're allowed to touch, for example. Um, that said, the other part of next steps is always, all right, so I've gotten server provisioning done, and I've gotten server retirement done, and I've gotten user management handled. You know, well, What do I do next? So, for me, it's always you look at your emails, or you look at your ticket system and go, what am I doing the most of? And then start looking at what's taking your time. And so you look at both what takes your time and what tasks are consistently done incorrectly, right? Is it adding IP or adding firewall rules? Is it user management? Is it, um, you know, insert task here? But the idea is, is you, if you're doing, if something's consistently going wrong for you, then that's what you should be taking a look at, and automation is phenomenal for driving consistency. So those are the those are the two areas that I always have people look for most on finding um, what's next. And okay. I will agree
3: to what um, Louis just said, and one little thing I'd like to add is um, to. Identify work that takes less time and the most time. These are the tasks you want to start with to automate and then prioritize, make a plan for long-term goal. Look about the, what infrastructure automation makes sense as an end-to-end solution for long-term growth and prioritize those tasks. All right, um,
1: I think that is all of our predetermined questions. Um, I wanna thank all of our panels today. Thank you guys for coming in, taking this time. Um, we're going to be sending out an email with a summary of this um, and some links in it. These links, the link to Red Hat Summit. Um, we'll be here for a couple minutes if anybody wants to type a question into the chat pod um, or you can always send us a question on our website. So thank you.
4: Yeah, I mean, if there are any questions on things that are currently um, kicking in the teeth or you know, are just kind of, I'm trying to get it done and I'm just not sure how this is, we're happy to help. Even if it involves complex data structures in Ansible, we can play that game too. Well, Matt won't be able to help with that, but the rest of us. No, definitely won't.
1: (laughs) I won't help with that either, but the rest of you.
4: You have a better shot at it than Matt
2: does.
1: I'm not going yeah, to I can, comment on that. <laughs> I can stood up.
2: At, least, at least I can get it stood up. So if I can do it, anybody can.
1: It's not wrong. All right. I'm going to thank all of our panelists today and all of our attendees. And everybody have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening in to this week's edition of ASCII Anything presented by Mojo Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening in to the live Red Hat Ansible panel. We'd love it if you would join us next week when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, so long, everybody.